Hello friends, it's the midweeks, and yeah, I'm sorry for everybody that I disappointed by not keeping up with my regular schedule. I definitely got a bit swamped, and I love doing this for you all, so thanks for you who are listening, and don't let me throw you off by having kind of stumbled in my consistent uh, fruitfulness here. I want to finish this project and I've got hopes and dreams for next things as well. So, and be praying for me. Anyhow, we're in 2 Samuel 19. And I've entitled this one, The Aftermath, because Absalom's just died. And this is, I think, the last um, big conflict we're going to have in with David in this book. There's kind of another one at the beginning of Kings, where Solomon and Adonijah are in conflict over who will be king next but this is i think we're winding down the story of second samuel and david has just gone to mourn the death of absalom and we're in this crisis of kingship like uh, david's been run out of jerusalem there's been a coup and an insurrection and attempted uh, regicide attempted death of a king and now what's going to happen is israel fractured beyond repair will it re uh reconnect itself around david or somebody else and so this is the aftermath of um these questions will the kingship endure uh, now that absalom's dead will it come back and be able to endure and so this is the chapter that's beginning to deal with these questions it's a longer one, too. 19.1. It was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people who heard that day, the king is grieving for his son, which is Joab's fault that his son is dead. Um, Joab did the shrewd thing by ending the insurrection right there with killing Absalom. But the And the king's response, because he'd asked for his son not to die, is now... Uh, making everybody feel terrible for winning a battle. Verse 3, And the people stole into the city that day, as people steal, steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you for you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you for today i know that if absalom were alive and all of us were dead today then you would be pleased so we're going to stop right there okay so we're seeing the character of joab again and joab Again, he's a shrewd man, not a godly man. He's a shrewd man, and he killed Absalom for vengeance, but also for political shrewdness, and now he's rebuking the king. But now this time, he is right. Now remember, Joab's been very involved in this. He was involved in bringing Absalom back from exile with that whole woman of Tekoa thing. He was involved, I think it was Tekoa. He was involved with Absalom burning his field down to bring him into the presence of the king. He was involved in the death of Absalom. And now he's involved in rebuking the king for his response to the death of Absalom. And he's essentially saying, you're, you're going to lose your kingship now. After your enemy is dead, you're going to lose your kingship because you're mourning the man who's tried to kill you instead of celebrating with those who saved you and he's right this is the thing he's right because he's shrewd sometimes he's right and he's politically astute here 
and he's absolutely correct that if David doesn't turn around and kind of forget himself and his personal loss, it's going to cost the kingdom in a worse way than what Absalom was trying to do. Verse 7, Now therefore arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. So again, he's right. With this situation, if David doesn't snap out of it and be king and act like king, somebody else will come and fill in the gap. Someone else will arise in the shadow of Absalom and take over the kingship. And then the people who are just fighting for the king won't fight for the king anymore. So David is, um, he, ha he has to choose, will, will he either forget himself and be king and save himself or will he focus on himself and stay mourning and then end up dead verse 8 then the king arose and took his seat in the gate and the people were told all told behold the king is sitting in the gate and all the people came before the king now this is an interesting end here because david gets up and sits before the gate and all the people come to him but then it doesn't really say what happens because we change perspective now to seeing israel at large so this is um, David's forces coming to him, his army that won the battle, but the people who were defeated were going to switch there. So where it's kind of blanked on how that conversation went. I'm sure David made a speech and the people listened to it, but the important thing was that David stopped his private mourning, which was becoming public mourning, and went and became the king in public by sitting before the people. But we're going to, halfway through verse 8, switch the camera focus to Israel all the people who had been following Absalom, who were defeated and sent scattering. Now Israel had fled every man to his own home, and all the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? So all these sub-leaders under Absalom realize that it's over and now they need to do something and they're saying to each other, oh, we've made a mistake. You know, David won all our battles before and he won this battle to our loss. So why don't we go get him back? And so this is their way of calling each other to repentance and bringing back the king. And so we have this weird double scene where Israel was thinking about bringing back the king, but Joab needed to go and rebuke the king to remember that he's the king because his own people were right about to abandon him because he made them feel so ashamed for winning the battle. So it's in this weird irony, the people who were defeated were talking about bringing David back as king at the same time as the people who won were thinking, we don't have a king anymore. But God is in the midst and in mercy he's going to reestablish David's throne because he covenanted with David to do this. Verse 11, And King David sent his messenger to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, say to the elders of Judah, Why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house when the word of all Israel has come to the king? You are my brothers, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring the king back? And say to Amasa, who was ruling the army for Absalom, Are you not my bone and my flesh, which he was? God do so to me and more also, if you are not commander of my army from now on in place of Joab. 
And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, Return both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. So David hears this report that Israel is talking about bringing the king back, and he sends um, peaceful messengers. Um, so he sends through the priests, Zadok and Abiathar, and addressed to all the elders of Judah. And this reminds us even of the beginning of Second Samuel, where he becomes king over Hebron with Judah. And he says to them, we're still family here. And then he goes to Amasa, who is a family member, and says, you're going to now be the commander of the army in the place of Joab. Maybe he's punishing Joab here for Joab killing his son. Not totally sure. It would make sense to me if he's just trying to remove Joab because he knows that Joab is an uncontrollable man. This is like the second time Joab's killed somebody. Maybe There's going to be one more, I think. But Joab is dangerous, and so he's trying to remove Joab from being in such a place. But it also is extending grace by making the commander of your enemy's armies your person. Then he's saying, let's build a trust-based relationship right off the bat. And the people hear this and they think, okay, um, if we bring the king back, he's going to be our king. This isn't a trap. We're going to, we have a, a chance to reconnect here. And so they're bringing the king back from over the Jordan. Verse 16, and Shimei the son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Baharim, hurried to come down to the, with the men of Judah to meet the king. Remember, he was throwing stones at David last time we saw him and cursing him out for what he quote unquote did to the house of Saul. Verse 17, and with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his fifteen sons and twenty servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. Okay, so people are saw who won the battle, and now they're like trying to um, solidify an allegiance and so that David doesn't come after them or whatever. They're, they're, they realize now who won, and they're going like, ah, I saved my butt, or maybe now is the time to curry favor. They see that through all the upheaval and the chaos, chaos now's the time for trying to get mercy or to try to position for strength and Shimei the son of Gera fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan and said to the king let my let not my lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem do not let the king take it to heart for your servant knows that I have sinned and therefore behold I've come this day the first of all the king of the house, sorry, of all the house of Joseph to come down to meet my lord the king. So he's looking for mercy. He thought that David was toast, so he abused him. Now he sees David is not toast, and he knows he's a dead man unless he does something about it. And I think there's a proverb about that, about being quick to settle accounts with your neighbor. This is actually, you know, Jesus talks about that. If there's been a conflict, be quick to settle accounts with your neighbor. And so Ziba is doing that, not Ziba, sorry, Shimi is doing that, though later on in the time of Solomon, we're going to see that um, he, he isn't really super repentant. He's more just saving his butt. Verse 21, people can kind of see this guy's a dirty dog. Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered, shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And this is right. Shimei deserves death. But David, again, his, he needs to come back as a peacemaker and not as a revenge taker. And so he responds like this in verse 22. But David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? What you should do that, that you should do this day, sorry, that you this day, sh 
be an adversary to me. Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. So this actually reminds us of when Saul became king and people spoke against him and then Saul won that victory against Nahash and then the people said, let's kill all the people who spoke against Saul. And Saul said, no, 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 we've had a victory today. Let's not put anyone to death. And that was a high point in Saul's career where he chose the path of mercy and unity. And David is doing that again today. He's choosing the path of mercy and unity and not of revenge, which would probably provoke fear and disunity later on though he is going to tell solomon to keep an eye on shimmy in a way that will let his own misdeeds come back on his head to destroy him and solomon uses his wisdom to eventually bring justice to shimmy verse 24 and mephibosheth the son of saul came down to meet the king remember um ziba is there as well he had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day that the king departed until he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, your, my servant deceived me, for your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king, for your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like an angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king, but you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come back, come home in, come safely home. All right, so before when Ziba was talking to David and David was leaving, I was saying like it's unclear exactly Ziba's motives or what's going on. And so now you have a situation where you have these contradictory testimonies. And this kind of is a foreshadow. Remember when Solomon's come to prove his wisdom, there's those two prostitutes and the one dead baby and the one living baby. And Solomon uses his wisdom to discern who the real mother is. Now we're meant to look at this and have some discernment as well. So Ziba's there, and he's rushed there with Shimei, and so it kind of seems like he might be rushing there as somebody who has a guilty conscience with Shimei and needs to promote peace right away, maybe because he knows that he's done a dirty on Mephibosheth. Now, when Mephibosheth and David finally meet, um, we're meant to look at Mephibosheth's speech and try to decide if he seems like he's speaking honestly or not. And to me, he seems like he's being an honest witness. When he says, I've been slandered, you know, he's got this, these signs of mourning in his beard and not taking care of his feet, and you can't fake that. So obviously, he was in mourning since the king left and it's apparent on him he can't fake that so it's not like he was like going hey 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 i'm gonna be re uh, appointed king now in david's place like ziba said when the signs of his mourning are actually on his body and when he speaks um his he is so humble that you want to believe him and the scriptures, I think, would have made it less clear if it were ambiguous. I think that we're trying to see that um, Mephibosheth is telling the truth. We don't actually have reason to doubt him. And so he's acknowledging that he was already under mercy even before 
um, David was attacked, just the fact that David invited him to his seat under Chesed, he knows that I, I haven't even deserved to live up to this point. And when David splits their property, um, Mephibosheth's saying is that he doesn't even want it. And so we're, I think we're meant to see that Mephibosheth is telling the truth and Ziba wasn't. Now David's response to all this is that instead of discerning um, character and punishing Ziba, he just splits the land, which is peacemaking halfway. It's not full justice, but it is peacemaking. And, and David, you know, he's in this place because he's trying not to kill anybody on his way home. And Ziba probably deserves to die here. And so instead of killing, he just splits it and says, um, now you don't have anything to squabble over. Ziba doesn't have anything to fight with Mephibosheth over, and Mephibosheth doesn't have anything to, to provoke jealousy from Ziba about. You will split the land, and then you can go your separate ways. And so there is some wisdom in that, but we can also be left with a feeling of injustice because Mephibosheth has suffered loss because of Ziba's um, dirty deeds. But like I said, the king is trying not to be a angel of wrath at this time and so there is some wisdom in just splitting it and if if the king is right and Mephibosheth is content just to be with the king then Mephibosheth gets what he wants which is fine verse 31 now Barzillai the Gileadite had come down from Rogalim and he went on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan so this Jordan is this barrier of like exile and coming back from exile and Bar Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old, and he had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mehenayim, for he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Barzillai, come over with me and I'll provide for you with me in Jerusalem. So he wants to reward him for his faithfulness, for his chesed. But Barzillai said to the king, how many years have I still to live that I should go with the, with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day eight 80 years old so he's proving himself to be a truth speaker the narrator told us he was 80 and now he's confirming that truth with his speech so Bar Barzillai is being shown to be an honest man and a good man because his words line up with what the prophet author of the book of second samuel says can i discern what is pleasant or what is not can i taste can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks can i still listen to the voice of singing men or singing women why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king your servant will go a little way over the jordan with the king why should the king repay me with such a reward please let your servant return that i may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother but here is your servant chinham let him go over with my lord the king and do for him whatever seems good to you okay so barzillai is is right he's a good man he's like you know i I don't even have that long to live and but he wants um, Chinham who's probably his son to go with the king and so this is good kinging and good fathering he's like I'm 80 I could die any day so it isn't gonna actually prosper me to be there because I can't even enjoy like the entertainments of the of the castle but if you send my servant then he can be he can have that benefit of being close to the king and serving the king and it will elevate him to be the Lord's servant in Jerusalem. And so he's wanting the reward for faithfulness to go to the next generation, which is a good thing. Verse 38, And the king answered, Chimham shall go over with me, and I will do for him whatever seems good to you, and all that you desire of me I will do for you. So he's repaying chesed with chesed. 
Then all the people went over the Jordan, and the king went over, and the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his own home. This is again a bit of a messianic picture of the Gentiles coming and serving the Lord with faithfulness and receiving the love and blessing of the king in their life. Verse 40. The king went on to Gilgal, and Chinhem went with him, and all the people of Judah, and also half the people of Israel, brought the king on his way. Then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all David's men with him? So there's still conflict between Judah, the king's people, and Israel at large. And David knows this, that there's going to be this conflict. And so, and it's almost like Israel's got this guilty conscience. They know they were just trying to get rid of David. And now they're going to be like upset that Judah, who defended David, is a... It's kind of closer to him and so they're like no 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 you know they're trying to prove themselves just like Shimei asking for grace or Ziba and all this stuff they need to really show their allegiance to the king and they're going to try to show it by complaining that they weren't invited in close enough verse 42 and all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel because the king is our close relative why then are you angry over this matter have we eaten it at all of the king's expense or has he given us any gifts and the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king, and in David also. We have more than you. Why then did you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of men of Israel. And that's where we end our chapter. And the people squabbling over having David as king instead of squabbling by trying to get rid of David. And so things are a mess and things are not at peace yet. Um, David's been brought back as king, but he's got work to do for actually trying to reconcile these people. And these people won't be brought back together fully, I don't think, until the reign of Solomon. So, but they're at least this time fighting over having David as the king. So this is chapter 19, messy, political, but over all of this is God's promise to David to have one of his sons reign on the throne, even in the midst of David's sin. And David's been punished for his sin through all of this and discipline, but he still remains king because God is faithful to his promises. And later on, we're going to have some more stories of the cleanup of all this stuff, as well as some later tales of just God's faithfulness to David in his life. And be...